On this Accounting and Excellence podcast, we'll be finding out how you can nail your niche and fast track your success. Hello, I'm Richard Hattersley and welcome to the Accounting Excellence Talks post-show podcast supported by KPM. Joining me to discuss um, how you can find your niche is our expert panel. We've just finished recording the webcast and we have the panel back together. Up first, we have Della Hudson. Hi, Della. Thanks for coming back after the webcast. Nice to be here. Wonderful. We also have Nadia Hussein Mahmood from Be Accountancy. Hi, Nadia. Hello, Richard. Good to see you again. And we are also joined by Indy Tatler, who is the head of marketing at KPM. Hi, Indy. Hello. And so like we teased in the webcast, we have quite a few questions. Uh, we took 10 minutes to answer two questions. So um, be warned, this might be a three hour podcast. Um, uh, I'm sure we're going to keep it as, as tight as possible. So let's crack on straight with the questions. So up first, we have a question from James who says that I have a generalist practice, but I am looking into branching off into an audit specialist firm. Should I set up a separate business with a separate branding and market according to this prospective client base? Or should I integrate this as a service within my current offering? So what do we think? Who wants to take up James's issue first? We've got Nadia's pointing towards Della. Um, <laughs> We're all so, pointing Della on this. So Della, you're on the spot now. Um, what do you think? How, what should James do? Um, what is the benefit of having a, a separate business? Um, and the downside, of course, is a whole lot of extra cost. Um, whether you have a, a different branding is, is, is another matter, and Indy's probably better mm-hmm. set to advise on that side of it. But I'd say don't have a, a separate business. You'd also need um, two practicing certificates, um, one for each business. So even that is just extra hassle. Yeah, Indy, if you, um, Della mentioned, you may have an insight on this one. What do you think? I, I mean, I think sub-branding is very, is, is very difficult. Sub-branding means that you are spending twice the amount in marketing two brands and there's no cost efficiency with that. So um, you would only do that if you thought that the market was sizable enough for you to warrant having a separate brand for it. If it's not a sizable enough opportunity then you're better off just sticking with your core brand and maybe pivoting slightly with your core brand or offering um and like we said just being you know customizable with the communication that you have for that particular market segment that you're going after wonderful um next question comes from sarah so sarah writes i started 10 years ago and took on any old client i'm sure we've all been there um especially starting up in the early days Um, She said, since then, I have moved into a restaurant niche, but I still have those irritating clients who are over needy and low paying. I really do wish them well, but they're clogging up my life and I'm struggling to focus focus on my niche. How should I get rid of these clients, but in a nice way? I think that's in particular there because I'm I'm sure after 10 years, you've you've created this relationship with these clients. and, And if you want to really zero in on your specialism you don't want to be um, dealing with some of these lower paid and um, um, rather needy clients so what would be a nice way I would say you have realized yourself that you need to move away from those clients that the relationship for whatever reason is not working anymore I would simply go like this and let wish them well and part ways 
if there is another accountant who could take care of them, I would probably refer them to somebody that I know will be taking good care of them. But you need to make the move sooner rather than later and focus on your area of growth. What do we think? What's a nice way then? Um, Del and I were Della. just talking about <laughs> this, weren't we? We were just speaking What's... and we were saying that I tend to find an easy way to exit myself from um, client relationships is to offer or volunteer um, a bit of a kind of, you know, period mark in the sand, line in the sand to say, okay, it's been the 10-year mark, I guess, for um, for this lady. Yep. Um now, you know, I, I tend to say at this point, you know, it's a great time to review the relationship and review your needs, um, how it's working for you, if it's not working for you, and offer a, offer a break period at that point to say that this is the direction of the business that you are taking, it, that you're, you know, choosing to go down, and um, does it align with them, and how does it align with them, and if it doesn't align with them, they will exit themselves from um, your relationship just on the basis that you are just starting the conversation and seeing it as a healthy kind of review. I would probably be with the old boyfriend girlfriend sort of trick. <laughs> exactly. It's yes. really it's really not you, it's me. I have changed. <laughs> Which is exactly what's happening here. Yeah, yes. The business has changed. <laughs> We're just two different people now. We've gone in different directions. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the next question comes from Suzanne and this picks up on something which we mentioned earlier on in the webcast about uh, client research surveys um, is an important way to sketch out your ideal client. I think you mentioned that, Indy, mm. about knowing your clients and sending out different um, different questions um, to in order to know them better. So Suzanne um, asks, what sort of questions would you ask in these research surveys? So who wants yeah. to pick this one up? Indy? Dana, do you want oh. to give it a first crap? Yes, you um, do things like um, the size of the business and the aspirations for the business were very important to us on the advisory side. Because if people were more or less happy where they were, then they really just needed compliance plus plus a bit. So aspirations, services services. that they currently use, I guess, and... um, Again, as you said, because you touch on aspirations, um, would it be to, for example, you know, you, you people find it difficult to answer free text field. Yes. Yeah. So the best thing that you can do is give a little bit of constraint by having, you know, a handful of options. So if the aspiration question is around what are your aspirations, is it growth of, of number of employees? Is it growth by, you know, getting to a certain um, revenue marker? Or is it... Um, Again, you know, is it just trying to figure out a new market sector for them, um, a new market territory, perhaps even? So I think there's questions around that. And again, you know, you could ask questions around their personal um, circumstances as well in terms of their personal tax affairs or something that, you know, they may have a need for themselves. Do they own properties, for example? Again, it's just finding questions that can help you broaden out a profile of who they are without being too intrusive. Um, obviously, you don't need to know what colour their underwear is, but, um, <laughs> unless they want to tell you. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's worthwhile just having being able to build out enough of a profile of who they are um, and what their business does and 
uh, where it is where it is that they want to go but always make sure that you put in a lot of multiple choice and think through yeah. the answer from their perspective because people will spend less than five minutes answering these types of surveys so you need to be very punchy with them and I think it's also worth saying how long the survey will take yes I find that really useful yeah absolutely so it's a quick one it will take you two to three minutes mm-hmm. um generally people are quite happy with that um but I think yeah if you don't I don't overload questionnaires or surveys I tend to think okay is it, it's about 10 questions in your mind that's the most and really make those as specific as you can test it out on you know your friend your family cat dog whatever it is just test it out read it aloud think does is this too onerous and just keep it short and sweet as short as sweet as you can. <laughs> um, I, I, sometimes when I read these questions, I feel a little bit like, um, was it Simon Bates who did our tune on the radio and he had that music playing in the background about um, <laughs> the issue from someone and, and it, it gets quite emotional. And, and that, I, I sort of get that sense with this next question, which would, uh, which is, should I give up on my niche? Um, oh, <laughs> you should have that playing. Okay, and, well... And, just for you, what's the rest well, of the question? <laughs> okay. So, is it a profitable why? niche? That's the question. Well, let's let's find out. Let's see what um, Dave has to say. So, <laughs> after redundancy, I started a practice, but over the last twelve months, I've only won an extra three thousand pounds in fees from my niche. And despite marketing and um, working my behind off through networking, SEO, and adwords. Um, I'm anxious that the 12 months, next 12 months might be the same. Should I throw the towel in on my niche? So I'm going to throw that one open to you because um, niching, we, we found that it could be incredibly successful. I don't want to um, uh, put too much light on this because it is quite a serious thing and people going into, um, into niche comes with a, an element of risk because you're you're putting your eggs all in the same basket and it might not work out and I'm sure many people have been there. Um, so what should this person do? Should they give up? Should they see it through? It's the old 50% of marketing is successful, but which 50%? Mm. And I think a lot of it, you just need to be around long enough for people to have heard of you. Not everybody is looking to change their accountant today. So they might hear of you today and then are you still around in three years time when they come to look for an, an accountant in their particular niche? So in that respect, I'd say it's probably worth giving it some time. Mm. I would add, people say they have a niche, but what is he doing about his niche? Mm. I don't know what his niche is, but if he's having a niche you know, in his mind, but he's not doing, he's not reaching out to those people, then do they really know about him? Does he? Do they really know about his offering? I would probably tell him to take some time and reflect on those £3,000 fees that he's made. How did those clients find him? What is it that he got right? And is it something that he can replicate for the mm. wider market? Yeah, yeah exactly that. What Focus you... on the positive a little bit. That's, <laughs> yeah. You could have had no sales whatsoever. The fact that you've made £3,000 shows... You've done something. You just need to replicate. And you just need to keep pulling the thread as well. So the 3,000 that you did get, yes, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? What didn't you do enough of? How can you make that 3,000 sticky with you? Mm-hmm. So, you know, they. I don't know how, how that 3,000 is 
cut up, let's say it's a couple of clients, um, what more could you do for those clients to make sure that you're increasing what is a monthly revenue with them so that you are doing something ongoing? Um, and again, you know, like we've said, if you, if you keep pulling the thread out of the existing that you've got, it will help to unpick some of the stuff that you may not have considered with prospects out there. Or if you've, if you've approached prospects and they've not converted, ask them. Ask them why, what is stopping them? Because um, there's no harm. People are willing to, you know, offer advice and, you know, you need to just know what their motivations are and keep trying to kind of um, pick away at it, like a chip away at it, like it's a bit of a science experiment, I guess. Uh, we've got two questions left, so we'll just whiz through them now. Um, there's a question about probate. Um, I guess we're talking about different services that you can then move into. Um, this person asks whether it's worth them as a sole practitioner um, adding this to their services and applying for a probate registration. Um, he says, don't people tend to just use a solicitor automatically? So we, we, we've talked about services. What do you think? Is, is it something worth, is this a, a service worth getting into? If you do a lot of inheritance tax and trust, it probably sits very nicely alongside that. But for a, a general practice firm, it's 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 too different from my point of view, and your accountants aren't front of mind. You almost need to have a business plan for every new niche that you're considering. Yes. And having a business plan doesn't mean I'm definitely going ahead with this, this is the plan. Having a business plan is a way of evaluating whether this is a good strategy for you. It could be you've spent the resources, the time, and actually it's not worth it, in which case you've only spent the time and the resources needed to produce that business plan and you don't go any further than that. I would say to him, if this is something he is considering, start with a business plan. Yep, okay, we're, we're going to move on to our final question. It's quite a lengthy one, so I'm going to try and summarise it. Um, the questioner says that they started off with a niche, it was working really well, and moving in a direction that they would like to continue with. Um, and then one of their sis assistants suggested that um, they just move into some more all-round experience, and they got slightly sidetracked into general accounts work. Um, and luckily for them, they picked up quite two quite sizable clients, and now that accounts for 34% of their gross income. So they did pretty well in what, what started off as just a sidetrack. Um, but obviously for 34%, it's taken up quite a lot of their time and consuming um, quite a lot of their time. And their gut feeling is to keep looking at their original niche, but then that 34% concerns them. Um, so if they're looking to grow their practice, they've got the option of, of two ways. Should they continue down this um, this generalist um, path, which has proven quite successful for them, considering they've got 34% of their gross income is from that, or should they go into what, stick to what they know, which is their niche? And they did say that their um, the generalist is a little bit more hassle. So what do we say? I was going to say, it's, it's partly about the profitability of both sides. Um, so if maybe 34% of their niche, but if it's 50% of their resource, it's less profitable than their actual niche. Mm -hmm. So you need to be, look at some of the numbers, look at where you spend your time. And I don't mean time sheeting unless you do that naturally, but just get a feel for roughly how much time they take up. 
and and the hassle as well so again it might be like that sort of um sarah's thing with her her non-niche clients from 10 years ago you might just have to bite the bullet and say you know it's it's not you it's me um and very gently introduce them to a, a generalist uh, anyone else has any other thoughts on on this I think as small businesses, we do want the business. Yes. And 34% is, seems something very hard to just let go of, irrelevant of how profitable it is. So once again, have a look at your numbers. I agree totally with what Della says. Have a look at whether the income and the resources spent to get that income match up. And if you're spending too many of your resources, then you know, think with the accountant's hat on, that actually is not quite as profitable for you anymore. Mm. And there, there was a slight part two to this, which was um, actually finding niche clients. We we covered that quite a lot, so I I suggest that this person actually, um, if, if they haven't listened to the uh, the uh, accounting excellence talks all the way through, is worth um, downloading that. It's now available on demand, so make sure you catch up with that uh, accounting excellence talks if you haven't done. But they did ask something quite specific about AdWords. And how important is AdWords when it comes to finding your niche? That's one for Indy, isn't it? <laughs> it's a, yeah, I'd, I'd say that it helps because you see what demand is out there. You can go um, to AdWords and just type into Google, you know, keyword um, selector and put in ideas for keywords or even put in a competitor website that you think is doing it really well and it will give you all the keyword terms that, Oh, show that that website is showing up for but it also shows you what the demand is like in terms of how many customers are actually searching for that and you can be quite specific about which geographic regions as well so I, I mean I, I we use AdWords for KPM I've always used them for any business that we've gone into um, you you do tend to find you can spend a lot of money um, but the whole point is that you are testing and learning and you're able to test um, in a very small organic way um, by seeing what customers are searching for and then you know seeing what traffic is driven to your site um, and adding things like Google Analytics to see how they engage with that particular keyword or ad word seeing if they go through the process of contacting you or um, whatever that looks like you can test in very clever ways using things like AdWords. Wonderful. Well, thanks everyone for joining us in this um, post-show podcast. Uh, again, if you missed the original Accounting Excellence talk, it's now available on demand. So we suggest that you go ahead uh, and watch that at your leisure. That's the Accounting Excellence Talks. Know your niche and fast track your success. So what's left to say is thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Della. Thanks, Nadia. And also thanks, Indy. And thanks as well to Capium for supporting this Accounting Excellence Talks. Uh, I've been Richard Hattersley and thanks for joining us.